0: Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please remain standing and turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to be looking at the entire chapter this morning. In 2 Corinthians 9, that's verses 1 through 15. Please give your attention now to the reading of God's holy word. Now, concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that, as I said, you may be ready, lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly, will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them in all men, and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thus far, the reading of God's word You may be seated. Let's ask now for God's blessing on the preaching of his word. Uh, Father, as we do consider the, uh, the... the duty that we have as Christians to to give for the sake of the advancement of your kingdom. Lord, we do pray that you would, would help us to give faithfully, that we would uh, give even as the Apostle Paul describes here, uh, cheerfully, and yet also, Lord, giving, uh, recognizing the blessings that accrue even to us uh, for our gifts. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would would open our eyes to see these things. And we do continue to pray, O Lord, that you would provide for us such that we would be able to build the the building on the hill as we have desired for so many decades. Help us, O Lord, to, to, uh, to raise the funds necessary. And Lord, we ask that you would be the one to build the house and that this, even as the Apostle Paul describes here, would redound to the praise of your glorious grace. For we do ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, this really is an exciting time in the life of our church. I know that just in talking to, to many of you as uh, uh, we're moving through this process with regard to getting designs for the new building and uh, moving through the permitting process uh, and even doing things like applying for grants, uh, we, we recognize it is an exciting time and we are praying that God would open the door for us to, to build this new building. And this is what we were looking at last week. And uh, we will continue to look at that again uh, this week. You remember last week what we, we looked at particularly was uh, the book of Haggai and the way in which Haggai was prophesying during the time of the return from exile. And there he was exhorting the people of God to prioritize the work of the rebuilding of the house of God. And the reason was was because there was this, this uh, natural connection between the building of that house and the advancement of God's kingdom. And what Haggai was saying is, is you know, it may appear outwardly that this is not the time to do this. It may appear that there's opposition everywhere. It may appear that there's great difficulties. And yet what he says is is that this is in fact the time to do it. You are to prioritize the place where God is worshiped because this is related to the advancement of the kingdom of God. And therefore it is to be prioritized over uh, everything in this life. You remember the uh, exhortation that Haggai gave was that, you know, you dwell in paneled houses. While the, the, while the house of the Lord lies in ruins, and the, the point that Haggai is making is that if God has provided for you such that you are well cared for in this life, uh, there also ought to be a corresponding desire to see uh, the house where God's people worship him uh, also uh, built up. And uh, you remember, this is what we are seeking to do with regard to this new building, uh, they, the the new building that we are seeking to build is not the house of God in the same sense as the Old Testament. And yet there is something of a parallel in that this is going to be the place if the Lord provides uh, the funds that needed for us to build this building, this will be the place uh, where we Worship God. It is the place that has been set aside for uh, set aside for this end, and therefore, just like in the days of Haggai, so too now, uh, there is something of a relationship between our prioritizing the building of this building and the advancement of the kingdom of God. And you, you remember the, the the reasons why we are looking to do this. We recognize that uh, we are quickly outgrowing our current facilities. That um, very often now on Sundays we have to make use of a, of an overflow room. We are in a position. Of, of needing to grow in, in that regard, of needing to have uh, more space in order to to worship God. Also, we want to, ourselves to show that we are prioritizing the worship of God. That we uh, want to be in a place where uh, you know where we have clearly shown by you know, any visitor who comes that, that a visitor can see this is a church that prioritizes the place where the church meets for worship. And also, uh, thirdly, we want to one day be able to plant other churches ourselves. Historically, we have been a church that has been in need of aid. We have needed aid from other churches that we have very gratefully received. Uh, And yet we want to be in a position where we can aid other churches and one day even plant a church ourselves. In order to do this, there has to be a certain size that we have to grow to. We can't be at a size where we are... Barely able to scrape by financially, where we have, uh, you know, we, where we're just trying to to make it, so to speak. There has to be a a, a certain growth that we have, whereby we would be able to uh, even use some of our resources to uh, to help out other churches and even to plant a church ourselves. And therefore, in order to do this, there has to be uh, space for us. So we're looking, therefore, to build a a building that is large enough for us to be able to grow to a size where we would be able to plant churches one day. Uh, uh, ourselves. We remember that the San Francisco church planted us so many decades ago as we celebrate that even at the harvest dinner, that uh, through the grace of God, God put it on the hearts of of those uh, who were at that church to uh, have a church started in this area in South San Francisco. And uh, we want to see something similar happen as well. We want to be able to uh, plant not just even one church, but even many churches in the Bay Area that the light of the gospel might shine all the brighter uh, here. And so that's what, what we've been looking at. There's a reason why we're looking to build this new building. And we come back then uh, for one, one last sermon to uh, consider once again uh, the obligation, the duty that we have to, to give to the, the cause of the advancement of God's kingdom. And here we, we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, which is part of Paul's general instructions to the Corinthian church about giving in chapters 8 and 9, and here we are looking particularly at the, a potential danger that we have as we consider making a commitment to give to a project related to the advancement of God's kingdom, and that is the condition of our heart as we give. Uh, what the Apostle Paul here is speaking about is that there is a need to give not out of compulsion, but out of love, for God loves the cheerful giver. Now, in order for us to do this, one of the things that the Apostle Paul does is he he instructs the Corinthians that they, they, they do need to give. He's not trying to say they don't need to give. But he's, he also communicates to the Corinthians what blessings they will receive if they participate in this giving. So there's, an, there's a duty to, to give, but then he says you should do that duty joyfully because there will be blessings, great blessings, even for you if you so do, if you so participate uh, in this work. And so we'll look at this passage then under uh, really two headings. We're going to look at the encouragement to give and then the encouragement to give out of love. So there is the exhortation, again, to fulfill the duty that they had, particularly in this context as it relates to the Corinthians' commitment uh, to help the churches in Jerusalem. and then. But secondly, then also the, 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 the manner of their hearts as they give, which is to give out of love. Now, as we look at the encouragement to give, it's important to to recognize what is happening. Uh, this is not this sermon is not coming as part of a series in Second Corinthians, so um, it's be useful for us to set the context with regard to what is happening. As I mentioned, Second Corinthians eight and nine is something of a digression in the letter of Paul to to the Corinthians, the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. Um, in Second Corinthians as a whole, the Apostle Paul is, is defending his ministry. He's trying to, to show that his ministry is truly an apostolic ministry that must be heeded. And he does that in chapters 1 to 7 in a more general way. And then before he gets to the more personal uh, defense of his own ministry in chapters 10 through 13, where he's going to get into um, you know, his own travels, the, the things he suffered, the things that he's seen in terms of visions, um, the, the, the way he has conducted himself in the context of, of his ministry with regard to how the gospel got to the Corinthian church, that, those sorts of things. Before he does that more personal defense of his ministry, he takes two chapters to uh, give instructions to the Corinthian church about how they are to give. Because part of what's going to happen is, is that there's going to be, um, apart from other visits that Paul may make to the Corinthian church or sending sending others, as we've seen in this in, in this particular chapter, uh, there's going to be a collection that's going to be made, and this collection is going to, is meant to go to the churches in Jerusalem, and uh, we see even scattered all throughout the epistles of Paul, um, some some things about this particular collection that was made, and so for instance we have in Romans chapter 15. There is a similar exhortation that Paul gives uh, to the Romans where he says, you know, you you Romans, you have benefited spiritually from the things that have come out of Jerusalem through the preaching of the gospel, and therefore it is right for you to share and, and help them materially, not that you might be deprived while, while they have extra, but that they're but that in their lack, it may be supplied by the abundance that God has given to you. So Paul gives this exhortation to the Roman church. He gives it to the Corinthian church. We see in this particular passage, too, that Paul had exhorted the Macedonian churches uh, as well to, uh, to give these gifts. And so we see then, really all throughout Paul's letters, there is something of this particular focus on this gift that was being collected for the churches in Jerusalem. And uh, this gift was uh, in fact collected and uh, likely what this is referring to in terms of um, what is what is happening in, in uh, Romans and 2 Corinthians and uh, other places in the New Testament is this is the gift that is being uh, given that Paul actually would deliver, um, not mentioned specifically in, in Acts, but he would have delivered it um, during his third, at the end of his third missionary journey. So as he's making his way back to Jerusalem, he uh, completing that missionary journey, he would have dropped off that gift as well as he indicates in his letters, and that is immediately before his arrest. Uh, now, a few other things about this particular passage in terms of setting the context and understanding what Paul is saying. You'll notice that there are two places that are described uh, here in the text, particularly in verse, uh, verse 2. I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians that Achaia was ready uh, was ready a year ago. So there are these two places, uh, Macedonia and Achaia. It can be um, difficult for us to keep in mind where these places are. We don't live in these particular areas. and This is obviously a long time ago. So just to, to orient w- you to what Paul is saying, The churches in Macedonia and Achaia would have been modern day Greece and Macedonia would have been the northern part of Greece and Achaia is the southern part. Um, So Corinth is one of the major cities of Achaia. So Achaia would be a region, the the, the region of southern Greece. Corinth is in that uh, area. And so what he is saying is what Paul is saying is that to the churches that are just to the north, this would have, been, would have included churches like Thessalonica and Philippi. So those would have been Macedonian churches. So to those churches, Paul had said, look, your, your brothers immediately to the south in Corinth and Achaia, they have been ready for a long time. And, um, and you know, therefore, you know, there's this boast that's been made. That boast was made to the Macedonians so that they would be encouraged to give a gift as well. They, they then give the gift, even as Paul describes, and then now he's in the situation where he wants to make sure that the gift that, that Achaia had promised, that is the Corinthian church had promised, or anyone else in, in that region, uh, that that gift is actually given as they had promised. So that is uh, basically an overview of what is happening in these two chapters in terms of the historical context. Um, there are the preparations that are seen, particularly for this giving, in 1 Corinthians 16, so in Paul's first letter, there is some, uh, some mention of the, the collection of this gift. Um, there's participation of the Galatian churches that is mentioned. And now in chapters 8 and 9 of Second Corinthians, there is uh, this instruction given uh, to, to make sure that the Corinthians actually do give the thing that they had promised to give. Now, it's in that context then that Paul gives this encouragement uh, to give to the Corinthians and the, the the point that he is making here is that paul is telling them that he has already boasted of their willingness to give to the macedonians so the idea here is that um paul's not trying to he's not trying to manipulate the corinthians He's not trying to say, you know, like, well, you said it, therefore, you know, you must do it. He really is trying to save the Corinthians from what could be a potentially very embarrassing situation. Uh, He's described the Macedonians and their giving. And you'll notice that the way he describes the Macedonians giving, uh, he says, you know, they, they gave even out of their extreme poverty, as he says in one place, so that the Macedonians didn't even have a lot of resources. They saw how the Corinthian church was willing to give so much for the sake of the the saints in Jerusalem, and the Macedonians, even out of their great affliction, were willing to give so generously. And Paul is just noting how embarrassing it would be if the Macedonians are encouraged to give so much when they're a poorer church, and then. Paul then comes to a wealthier church and they had made this promise and yet they're unable to give anything. That would, that would be quite an embarrassment uh, to the Corinthian church. And therefore, Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to honor the gift that they had pledged to give. That he's saying if, if you've put it in your heart, make sure that it is ready, that it might not be given out of compulsion uh, when, when we come, that it might not be given grudgingly, but that you know, if you've, you've planted it in your heart, You've set it aside. Make sure that it is ready to go uh, when I get there. Now, uh, with regard to this particular uh, thing that Paul is doing, his encouragement to give, as we relate this to our particular situation, it's helpful for us to think about this in terms of the commitment that we make to the building project. Each of us individually within the congregation, uh, there is there is a need to uh, he, he, here in, in in Corinthians there is. There's clearly a commitment that was made that gave the Apostle Paul some indication of what he could expect from this particular church. And now he's, he's asking them to honor that commitment as it has been given. Um, you, you'll notice that we've, we've given out the commitment cards for you to consider. Uh, this is basically the equivalent of that. There's going to be a commitment that is made whereby uh, the session of the church can uh, understand uh, what. You believe that you are able to give uh, to this particular uh, end. It's important to note, therefore, that um, anything that is given or that you in- intend to give is something that is a it's a serious commitment that is being made to the Lord. That there is there is something of a um, of at the very least an embarrassment if if a person makes a commitment and is unable to fulfill it. Uh, now, this is not to say that. Um, um, not to say that things can't happen. Of course, there are things that can happen that could cause a gift not to be able to be given. Uh, Paul is certainly not talking about that. What he is talking about, though, is that the idea of a commitment being made and then it yet going unfulfilled. And others people seeing like, well, you know, all this, this money was committed. We've given in light of this commitment, and yet um, people have, have uh, you know, the, the Corinthian church has failed, uh, in fact, to give this particular money. So a, as we think about this, as it relates to this project, consider um, what, what you might be able to give, what commitment you truly might be able to make to the Lord to see uh, this, this building go up. Paul is truly, he, he truly does in this sense, he's not trying to manipulate the Corinthians, but he does clearly want to encourage the Corinthians to give generously to the church in Jerusalem. He believes in that cause and, and uh, believes that it is something that they ought to do. And so he gives that encouragement. Uh, now, this is not all that Paul has said. It's not even really most of what Paul is saying in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He's encouraging the Corinthians to give and to give generously. But the thing that Paul really wants to show the Corinthians is if they give, they themselves will be blessed. It, it's not just that it should not be an exaction because... You know, we're going to come early, is what, what Paul says. He says, we're going to send Titus ahead in you know, chapter 9, verse 5. I'm going to send Titus ahead so that the gift is ready, therefore it won't be by exaction. But it's not just that pragmatic thing that Paul is trying to communicate. He wants theologically for the Corinthian church to understand that if they give to a cause that is for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God, that they themselves will be blessed. Let each one of you decide to give as you have decided in your own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. You are to do this because there will be blessings for the giver. Now, there are three blessings, really, that the Apostle Paul speaks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that really redound back to the giver. And we're going to look at these three as a motivation to give, and not just to give, but a motivation to give cheerfully. And these three are... Uh, giving is used by God to sanctify you, so your own sanctification is a blessing that redounds to you. Secondly, uh, your giving uh, benefits others, so the, the benefit that accrues to another person is actually a blessing for you. And then thirdly, your giving leads to the glory of God. It glorifies God. And so those are the the three things that the Apostle Paul speaks about in this particular passage that that, uh, giving uh, will help sanctify you. It is is a blessing to come to the aid of others and also it leads to the glory of God. It it glorifies God. So just looking at these in turn, the first one with regard to sanctification is uh, spelled out in chapter 9, verse 6 and in a few other places we will see. Here the Apostle Paul speaks about uh, speaks about the blessing of, of sowing. So he says, But I say this, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, this, this is a surprising metaphor to use that the Apostle Paul gives. Um, it's a very fitting metaphor to use if you are, say, trying to invest money. If you were to invest money, you would sow and you expect to receive something in return. So that would be, you you sow it in some ways and then you reap something in return for you. It's a very strange metaphor to use though if the money that is given does not actually return back to you. And yet, the Apostle Paul here is saying that in the context of giving, when you give money in a context where it is not going to come back to you, the money will not return to you, that you will actually reap bountifully if you, so sparingly in the context of giving, there is, uh, there is something you are actually giving up with regard to your own reaping. Not, not just the benefit of others, but you yourself will be giving up something of a harvest that you would otherwise have been able to receive. The, the, again, the, the metaphor is basically like a, a metaphor that could be used for investing, but the point is that Apostle Paul is saying that giving is like that. If you give generously to the kingdom of God, you are actually sowing seeds that you can expect a future return on. Now, it's not going to be a return with regard to money. The money is given without the expectation of receiving it back in the future. So then the question is, what is the kind of harvest that you would expect to receive if you sow bountifully? And the answer that is given is righteousness, that there is, in in fact, a harvest of righteousness that you will receive. Notice what it said in verse 10, where this is explicitly stated. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for, for food, uh, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Increase the fruits of your righteousness. The, the idea is that, the, that is that you may you may be giving and you may never receive a financial harvest in return uh, for the giving that you that, that you give. In fact, you won't. Uh, you, that's not the purpose of giving. However, Paul is saying that if you sow bountifully with regard to giving generously, that uh, there is in fact a fruit of righteousness that you will reap from the Lord. This is, this is to be then considered a, a great blessing. Paul even quotes here from uh, Psalm 112 verse 9, which we sung earlier. He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Uh, the The point that is being made is that there is in fact a a, a harvest of righteousness that is received by the person who gives. And this is, of course, a great blessing for all those who truly love uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. As you think about what we as Christians ought to, to prize above everything else, um, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the apostles will say at various places in the New Testament, you are to rejoice even in your sufferings. What is the consolation that is given to you in the New Testament as to why you are to rejoice even in your sufferings? The answer is, is it makes you holy, is that God will use sufferings in your life to strengthen your faith. And the New Testament simply states that is to be considered enough because the great desire of the Christian heart ought to be to be conformed to the image of Christ. If you want to know, how is it that I can grow in grace and, and be conformed to the image of Christ so that I'm not sinning as much so and I'm loving the Lord Jesus Christ so I'm living a life that's pleasing to Him? Well, one of the things that is said is you can give. You can give and reap a fruit of of righteousness, of righteousness, a harvest of righteousness as you give cheerfully. There's even this basic principle, just like in investing, where you know, a person, if you invest much and you invest wisely, there's going to be a harvest that you, can, that you can receive in the future. The idea there is that there's a financial resource that you will receive back in the future. So too, Paul is saying there's a spiritual sort of investing, you could even call it, with regard to giving as it relates to holiness, that that, go, that those who deal bountifully, scatter their seed widely for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God, they actually reap in their souls a harvest of righteousness that is good for the person. Therefore, what Paul is saying is, is you don't need to give out of compulsion or out of being an exaction. Give because if you do, you will be sanctified more if you do it in faith. Give Th- consider it a great desire, a great even benefit that you get to receive, that God has given you the resources to be able to give to this particular work. This is the first reason why Paul says you ought to give uh, cheerfully and not out of compulsion. Now, secondly, secondly, the second thing that the Apostle Paul says with, with regard to uh, the blessing that comes to the person who gives is that this, that this ministry, in fact, will help others, So the idea is that uh, the giving for the sake of the kingdom of God uh, benefits others. And uh, this, again, seems like a strange thing to say, and yet we we, uh, know it to be true in our hearts, that when you give to the aid of others, that the, the benefit the other person receives, even just in itself, is actually a blessing to the giver. That there's actually a great blessing that accrues to the giver when the giver gets to see the person for whom the gift is given uh, benefited. Now, this this happens in the context of of this particular gift. Uh, this gift is more diaconal in in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapters eight and nine, but the principles uh, apply beyond it. So the point in this context is is that um, the saints in Jerusalem are are in are suffering great persecution. They are poor in many ways. They are in great need. So the Apostle Paul then goes to these various churches and he says, you know, uh, consider giving to help the church in Jerusalem. And even even talks about the obligation in some cases. So the Roman church, uh, you have an obligation if you have benefited spiritually from them. Are they not to reap even the lesser material things from you? You, you, are, to, you are to give for the sake of the benefit of, uh, of uh, these particular saints. And what Paul is saying is that um, as this gift is given from the Corinthians and the Galatians and the, the Macedonians and the Romans, that there will be a, a blessing that accrues to the Jerusalem church. And the point is that they, they will themselves uh, praise God for the gift that they have received from you. And in so receiving this gift, there is in fact a blessing that accrues to the giver. When The the, the understanding that the gift that you gave has actually provided a help and a benefit, a real tangible benefit to others, uh, is a blessing to uh, the giver. This is, um, this is uh, something that, again, we all know intuitively. If you think about things that you've given to uh, in the past where there's been someone who's been in need and you've thought, you know, uh you know it, it may cost me something to give to this person, but it, but then, but then you do it anyway, and you see the, the great benefit that the other person receives it, it is really a, it really it does fill the soul with joy and that's the way that God has set it up. He's set it up that there would be a true blessing, there would be a true blessing for the giver, even considered merely from the perspective of of the benefit that accrues to another person. Now as it relates to this particular building project. Um, you may be wondering, well, uh, you know, the, the gift in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is c- uh, clearly diaconal. So the idea is that um, the benefit is tangibly the people in Jerusalem. Uh, who are the people that benefit from us building a new church building? Well, the answer is that this really does, it really will um, provide for more opportunities for people to hear the gospel in the context of this church. It, it gives our church greater capacity for ministry. That is that is the thing that it does. And so there there very well may be, if we are able to, I'm, I'm sure there will be, if, if we are able by the grace of God to build the new building, there will be people who may visit the church, will be exposed to the ministry in one way or another, that would not otherwise have been exposed to it. And there will be a great benefit. And they, they may never fully know and appreciate you know, what you particularly gave, and pro- probably they'll, they'll never know exactly what any of us gave. Uh, but there will be a benefit that they, that they see when they come into a reformed church and they see the reformed worship and the reformed uh, preaching and they say, you know, this is something that's going to be great for my life. That's, that's, this is exactly what I need. The, the, the hole in, in my heart can be filled by God and there's repentance and joy in, in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's all of these great blessings. And uh, the expansion of our church's ability to minister to people, to communicate that blessing is related to our ability to build this new building. That is the thing that you are contributing to. You are contributing tangibly to those people uh, who will be impacted by the ministry having the benefit of hearing the gospel. And there is a natural blessing. If if the church grows, if the church grows and we fill the new building, then then you can think, you know, my giving went to facilitate this kind of growth whereby uh, we could minister to more people. And there is a natural joy that the soul feels when, when it uh, recognizes that the, a gift given was used to benefit others. And so that's the second thing that the Apostle Paul speaks about. Uh, this, this gift will be used for the ministry supplying the needs to the saints. So there is the, the gift uh, is used by God to sanctify you. It benefits others, which is a, a, even a blessing to the giver. But thirdly, Your giving glorifies God. Your giving glorifies God. This is the highest end in good. Uh, Of course, you think of uh, Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism, chapter 1. The chief and highest end of man is to glorify God. And this is clear from what the Apostle Paul speaks uh, about. He Actually, this is the way he concludes. He says this a number of times. He says, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. So it's not only doing that. It's not just caring for them. But now there's another thing, and the the idea here is that this is to be the climactic thing. So not only does it care for their needs, but also, the Apostle Paul says, is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So the idea is that um, you give the gift, it helps them. There's a great blessing that you receive just in knowing that you help this person. But further than that, consider that when you give this gift, it leads to greater worship of God. It gives the greater it, it means the greater worship of God, and this is spelled out even more clearly in verse thirteen, where the apostle Paul says, "While well, through the the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ, and for your liberal sharing with them in all in all men." The idea is that they're going to see in this diaconal context, they're going to see the the wondrous generosity that the gospel has produced in the hearts of people. And they're gonna say, praise God for that. Look, we are able to benefit from that. God, is, God has used the gospel to so turn the hearts of people who we, you know, in, the, in, in this context, may not even know, the, the Jerusalem church may not even know many of the people who are in, in Corinth. And yet there is this, this uniting together of hearts by faith, such that then, uh, through the gospel, such that then God could provide for our needs here in Jerusalem through the lives of these people all the way in Corinth. And the point is, is that Paul's making is that that will lead to praise and worship of God. The Jerusalem church is going to see that and they're going to say, praise God for that. Look at how amazing God is that he is able to do that sort of thing. And your gift will contribute to that. That is what the apostle Paul here is saying. Now, a point that is important to make here with regard to uh, the ministry of the saints in Jerusalem glorifying God is that Paul assumes this will be a great motivation for the Corinthians. He assumes it. He, he assumes that every Christian is so bound up in love to God that when they simply hear, your gift will lead to God being glorified. He assumes that they get the connection. Therefore, I should give. Therefore, I should give out of love. It, it should be the, the desire and, and, uh, and um, the earnest desire of every Christian above everything else to see the name of God worshipped and praised. And brothers and sisters, with regard to this new building, this is what we're aiming to do. We're aiming to build a place where God's name is worshipped, where God's name is worshipped. If we're able to, to grow to fill it, then what, what will be very tangibly happening is there will be a greater worship of God than there was previously. There, God's name will be glorified. And so these are the three blessings that the Apostle Paul speaks about. The giving is used to sanctify you. It, it, it helps others, and therefore that's, as the Apostle Paul explains, is actually a blessing to you. But also then thirdly, uh, it will lead to God's name being glorified. And brothers and sisters, anything that we give in any context of our our lives, any anything that God gives to us that we give back for the sake of the worship of his name, that will be something that we recognize uh, is a good is a good thing that will be even a blessing for us. And such is the reason, as we consider all of these things, is the reason why the Lord Jesus Christ himself has taught us it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. The person who gives who doesn't give out of compulsion and gives recognizing that these are the blessings that he receives, uh, is sanctified by God, is able to help others, and to glorify God. Uh, now, that is the reason why you are to give without compulsion. The last kind of uh, statement to make with regard to this about not giving out of compulsion is, is uh, something that Paul says in chapter 8, verse 12. And this is that uh, as Paul Paul speaks about what the Corinthians are to give. He Notice, he does want them to give generously. He wants them to consider all of these potential blessings and to give in light of them. So he's he's not he's saying give generously is what, he's, is what he's saying. However, he wants to make it clear as well that a gift is acceptable according to what a person has and not according to what a person does not have. The point there, very simply, is that um, basically, if you were to kind of boil it down to math terms, percentage is more important than total amount. That, that the thing that really shows a person is giving faithfully is not, you know, am I able to give this, this great amount? But perhaps, perhaps you don't have a lot of resources. Perhaps, perhaps God has not given you much and uh, yet the question for you then is what, what can I do faithfully with the things that God has given to me? I, I don't need to, to think about uh, competing with others in giving. I don't need to be embarrassed if my gift is small. What is acceptable to God is it's acceptable according to what you have, not according to what you do not have. It is acceptable according to the resources that God has given to you. You you think of what uh, of what the uh, of what the Lord Jesus Christ says in the Gospel of Luke when um and the, the week of his crucifixion uh, the, he's in the temple with with his disciples and he sees the widow that's giving. And um, before that, he sees, you know, various people that are giving and, you know, he, he speaks about those who are throwing their money into the offering plate and making all the coins jingle so that everyone can know that they've given a lot, as you can hear everything clanking around. And then there is a, 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 a widow who gives two small pennies and she has very little and she, she's not boasting about it. There's no reason for her to boast. It's such a small amount. And yet, you remember what the, what the Lord Jesus Christ says. He says, this person has given more than all the rest. More than all the rest. And the reason is because the gift is acceptable according to what a person has. And it's not acceptable according to what a person does not have. And therefore, brothers and sisters, as we think about uh, the uh, giving to this particular building project, these are the principles to consider. To commit yourself to God, to pray for the building to be built, for the church to be filled for churches to be planted, and to consider what you might be able to give in, uh, to advance this particular cause. To do so not out of compulsion, but truly to consider that if you, if you sow your seed bountifully with regard to this, there is actually a great harvest that you yourself will receive in so giving. There's a benefit that is given to you. And the encouragement that the Apostle Paul is is giving to the Corinthians and that I'm giving to you is to consider what you might give generously to this project in light of the blessing that is offered to you if you participate. What can you give in light of the blessing that will be yours for those who give generously? Uh, May it be, Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. If you've benefited from this ministry and want to know of ways you can help or support it, we'd like to make you aware of our new capital campaign to build a new building. God has recently blessed us with growth here at New Covenant. Over the years, our church has been small. It's gone up and down, but overall things have been tight financially and the church has been small. Now, by the grace of God, we are growing. We believe it wise in light of this to think about building a new building to facilitate even more growth. Our current building only seats 72. We cannot fit any more seats and if we were to fill every single one, every Lord's Day we would have no more than 72. The plans for our new building would more than double the capacity and enable us to grow to a point where we can be stable financially and even be able to help other churches. One of the things that we want to, to be is a church that is able to look beyond itself for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. We believe that this new building can help us get there. And so we are praying that God would provide for us the funds needed to build a new building, that we would grow to fill it, and that one day we would a- even be able to plant a church ourselves. As you know, doing ministry here in the Bay Area, this is a very dark place. Uh, there is a great need for the light of the gospel to shine particularly in this place. Through the preaching of the word and so if you want to support us and to to support our efforts to see this new building built please consider giving a financial gift to this end you can give by sending us a check with building fund in the memo line our address can be found on our website you can also give by zell by sending the money to nc.opcssf.treasurer at gmail.com with building fund in the memo line may god bless you with a greater knowledge of his word and zeal for his name.